0: Thank you, Bobby. I always enjoy that song, don't you? And welcome tonight. Ushers, take your place, please, if you will, and make sure everybody got a copy of our prayer sheet. And uh, keep your hand up. If you didn't, they'll bring it to you. You'll have some information there, a lot of good information. And I look over on my right, and I see light. And I look on the left, and I see darkness here. You notice the difference? Anybody notice tonight? Do you now? We are putting in new lights. And uh, we're meeting this Washington decree about energy. But uh, on this side, they got the new lights. And see how much lighter it is over here? Over here? In the back, all the way in the back. Well, forget it, huh? (laughs) <laughs> what do I say? <laughs> I don't care if you notice or not. <laughs> okay, do you have a copy of our program here? And uh, look at it. and Praise the Lord for Sunday. There's, uh, we're kind of getting back up to normal. And the people are coming back. And the summer is over. And school's started. This Sunday, Gather the People Day. This is a really important day for us. Our new Sunday school classes, many of them will be meeting. You know, we have five brand new classes that have not met. Well, a couple of them met last Sunday for the first time. But brand new Sunday school classes. And uh, when you can start new units, generally speaking, you can see some very good results following that in in the months to come. And I believe we will see that. And uh, of course, this is the last Sunday of our Brain One, 1,500 first-time in-town visitors from August to August. And I hope you will really not just listen to me make that announcement, but that you'll do your very best to try to bring somebody with you to church this week. Some of you haven't brought anybody. It's been a year. This is your last shot. And uh, there's a world full of people. And i tell you, people get the idea when they go to church at a church like ours all the time. They get the, an idea that people won't respond to the invitation because they invite a few people and they don't come. But I can tell you they will. We got out here and found 148 families that we had never met before. Knocked cold turkey on their door. And they said, you can come back and talk to us. And we talked to a number of them. And uh, we've seen 1,430 first time in town visitors so far since last August. So somebody knows how to invite them and get them to come and they they keep on doing it. So make a real push and a real effort here for this Sunday. Let's see, we still have an outside chance making that goal. And so let's work and pray to that end. Look on the inside of your program there. On the bottom of the first, or the inside page, down there under the letter from Lamar and Joanna Sally, members of our church, missionaries to Costa Rica, look at the very bottom statement, update. The church plant, and I guess that's Tres Rios, continues to grow as a result of the first mission team. Now, some of you were on that. Who was on the very first mission team we sent to Costa Rica? Okay, hold up your hands there. Okay, several of you right in here tonight. And you were down there. Two new families have opened up their homes for weekly Bible study. There were 40 people at the first follow-up meeting and over 60 at the last. What we're doing is using these medical trips to, to get the prospect names within a certain uh, geographic area. Then... Lamar and his folks down there go in and visit those people. And out of that, they are, the strategists to start a church, to plant a new church. And it looks like they're going to start a church out of that first mission team that will materialize into a, a genuine, sure enough, Baptist church down there. So that'll be wonderful, won't it? So, uh under the bereaved list, there on the bottom of the next page, we have Claudia Benjamin's father, Leslie Melanchowski's mother, Virginia Cribbs' sister, Barbara Spears' sister-in-law, Grady Queen's niece, Debbie Miles' nephew, and the family, of course, of Todd Ham, here one of our uh, FCS students. Um, And the sister, I I don't know the young lady's name, the Ham family where the gentleman drowned last week. Um, None of those are immediately church members, but they affect our church members and there's a lot of them. I haven't seen more than that in a long time, if ever. So pray for those people, if you will, tonight when we have our prayer time. Now, in your Bible, Mark chapter 11, Mark chapter 11. Well, I've been talking to you about prayer, and I've emphasized it, uh, I don't know, maybe four weeks in a row here in our Wednesday night services. Now, I I did this, I didn't preach on this just so I'd have a subject to teach on. I I preached on this because I feel that we need to pray a lot more than we're praying here. And I feel the country is in desperate, desperate need of Christians to start praying. And I, I keep hearing people say, "Well, we just need to pray." I hear people quote Second uh, Chronicles 7:14, and they'll, "Well, you know what the Bible says, preacher, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray, the only problem is, everybody talks about it. ain't nobody doing it. We keep on talking about we ought to pray. And I don't see any evidence that there's any more prayer than there's ever been. That any more people are really burdened and concerned than there have, than there has ever been. And uh, you read the news. I listened to the news. I was getting ready tonight. I didn't come for the teacher's meeting. And uh, I was getting ready and I turned on the television. Here was the news tonight. The Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt has burned 47 Christian churches. Burned them, gone. Nobody knows how many Christians have been killed in Egypt, murdered, martyred, killed for the cause of Christ. Scores of them, maybe hundreds of them, hundreds of them are missing. They don't even know what happened to them. They're beginning to use the word ethnic cleansing relating to Christians. Now, ethnic cleansing is when a government or a power group goes in and cleanses the nation of a certain ethic group, a race, a religion, a tribe, or whatever. And they're using that term, ethnic cleansing, referring to Christians living in the Middle East. There have been Scores of Christians that were killed in uh, Iraq already and in other places, in Syria especially. In Syria today, they found 1,100 bodies of people that had been gassed by the government. They have them laid out, wrapped in white sheets, look like cordwood, just stacked bodies. And they were beginning to bury them in mass graves. They can't even identify some of the poor people. They just have to take a backhoe and dig a big deep hole and lay their bodies there and cover them up. I tell you, the world's on fire. The world's on fire. It's like civilization is crumbling. I don't know what to make of it. I'm not gonna make any rash statements, but I do know this. I've never seen times like this in my life. And so getting back to what I want to talk to you about prayer, I began to get a real burden to pray. I've been doing additional praying myself. And uh, God's burdened me to pray because I guess you pray when you come to the end of the rope and you don't know what else to do. So what I want to do tonight is announce and promote and start selling something. And uh, cell's the only word I know how to use. I want us to have 30 days of prayer meetings this fall. 30 days of meeting for prayer here at our church. 30 days in a row. I've tentatively put it on the calendar as October the 5th, which is the first Saturday in October. And it would go through... November the 3rd, which would be our friend day, our 44th anniversary. And for those 30 days, we would pray every day. Now, I I understand that everybody can't come 30 days in a row to the church. Or I don't think you can. Maybe some can. There might be a few people who do that. I probably won't be here all 30 of those days myself because of things that I will have to be doing, scheduling conflicts and so on. But if I can be, I will be. And I'll be here for most of them. Here would be my thought. That we would gather right here in the auditorium at 12.15. And why 12.15? Because that would give people who have a 12 o'clock luncheon and are kind of inflexible. It would give them 15 minutes to drive from their place of employment here to the church. And... um, then we would pray till 1245. Or you, you can stay and pray as long as you wanted, but we would have the meeting from 1215 to 1245, Monday through Saturday. Then on Sunday, of course, we'd have our services. We would call people to pray in the services, but we wouldn't have the prayer meeting after the service. Now, what would be our purpose? We would pray for revival. We would pray for revival in our country. Everybody talks about it. I never hear anybody doing it. I just hear them talk about we ought to pray. God's people ought to come together and pray. Okay, let's see if we really mean that. Second thing, let's pray for our families. God knows we need prayer for our families. So many of our families are, have so many problems. Let's pray for our church. Let's pray for the lost people. That we know. Let's get serious about praying for the lost people. We all have lost loved ones and family members, and we have uh, lost neighbors and business associates. Let's come and ask God to touch their hearts and to save them. And then let's pray a lot for our own selves, for our own hearts, that we can have revival in them. Now, I don't know how many people will come. I'm not doing it because I think it will draw a big crowd. I'm doing it because I think somebody ought to do it. Somebody ought to do it rather than talk about it all the time. And if you can come on any day, if you come one time, then amen. If you come twice a week, double amen. If you come every day, Amen, 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 amen. And if you don't come at all, won't matter. We're going to still do it. But I don't know why I even feel the way I do, except I feel like we're in such desperate times. We need a visitation of God upon our country, our church, our families, upon the lost and upon ourselves. We're just one little old church and one little old town and a great big country. But, you know, you, you do what you can do. You don't do what... I wish we could ha- gather a million people to pray every day at noon in the country. But we can't do that. But we can, we can use what we've got, can't we? We can use what we got. I'm going to even advertise it. I'm going to invite everybody in town to come somebody else wants to come, fine. I'm not trying to create an ecumenical deal, but I know there are godly people in town that would probably say, you know, I think I'll go down there and pray today. I feel a need, a burden. I need to go down there. and I'll go down there to the Baptist temple. They're opening up the building. And so I'll go down there and pray. And um, I'll I'll tell you some other details of it, but I'm going to start promoting it. I just think somebody needs to start praying in the country. And maybe it ought to start with us. And who knows what the Lord will do in our church and in our hearts and in our community if if we will do that. Now, having said that, last week I preached on hindrances to prayer. In 1 Peter 3, I think it's verse 7 or 9, I can't remember which. It says that your prayers be not hindered that your prayers be not hindered. And so we know that there are some things that hinder prayer. And we tried to, I tried to deal with them last week. What were they? Well, 1 Peter 3 says, if the husband-wife relationship is not right, you, if you were here, you'll remember. If you weren't, just note it. If, if my wife and I are fighting and squabbling and there's animosity and tension in our home, then... The Bible says that hinders our prayers. That hinders our prayers. Then secondly, I talked about wrongs not made right. If I have ought in my heart against my brother, I should go to him or my sister, go to her. And I should clear that wrong up and make it right so that my prayers be not hindered. Then, of course, a lack of forgiveness, bitterness toward other people. People, I should confess that. Jesus said, when you stand praying, a hint at one of the positions that he approved for prayer. When you stand praying, Jesus said, forgive. And we search our hearts before we pray. Is there any bitterness or anger that we have in our hearts toward other people? Then there's unconfessed sin that hinders prayer. Psalm 66, 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Unconfessed sin hinders my prayers. And then there's one more, and I didn't get to it last week. And let me give it to you quickly, and then I'll just just stay in Mark. That's really where I'm gonna talk to you about. But I I still want you to see this. Look in Proverbs 28, because this was a verse that I had not ever noticed or preached on and now that I notice it, I, I certainly don't want to skip it. We're talking about hindrances to prayer, husband and wife relationship wrong, wrong not made right with other with my brother, lack of forgiveness, unconfessed sin, and then in Proverbs twenty-eight and nine, he that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be an abomination. What a powerful word. He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, the word of God, even his prayer shall be an abomination. Isn't that a strong word to us? That if we don't have the proper regard, if we're indifferent to the word of God, our prayers are not going to be heard and accepted by the Lord. It will hinder my attitude toward the scripture. If it is not right, can hinder answered prayer in my life. So there's six things that specifically hinder me from getting my prayers answered. Now today I want to talk to you, and I, I, I won't have as long, but I'll, I'll begin. I want to talk to you about faith in prayer. And in Mark chapter 11, in your Bible there, follow with me beginning in verse 20. In the morning as they passed by, they saw a fig tree or the fig tree dried up from the roots, the one that Jesus had cursed the day before. And Peter calling to remembrance said unto him, Master, behold the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. Now, Jesus spoke to that tree and in one 8, 10, 12, 14 hour period, This thing is all withered up. That's supernatural. That doesn't doesn't normally occur, does it? Somebody speaks to a tree and 12, 15 hours later, the thing's withered up, but it is. And Jesus answering them said, have faith in God. Have faith in God. I want you to notice that. Have faith in God. And then he said, I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. And therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. And when you stand praying, forgive. If you have ought against any that your father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses I already quoted that one. And if you do not forgive neither will your father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Now the, in the New Testament prayer and faith are like Siamese twins that are joined at the head. I mean they're inseparable. You can't separate prayer from faith. Every time you find much teaching on, on prayer in the Bible, you're going to notice that there always follows some mention or some statement regarding faith. And the Lord is teaching, basically. There is no reason to even pray if we don't have faith in our prayer. Now, for example, hold your hand there. And I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And I've quoted this verse so many times. One of my favorite verses. Hebrews chapter 11. Is that rain? Well, the sun was shining when I came in the building. Wow. I might as well mention it. You're all talking about it anyhow. so I didn't didn't lose anybody by mentioning it. This is something, isn't it? Maybe... Maybe this is uh, prepare for another Noah's flood, maybe, except the Lord said it wouldn't get that bad, but some weather. Okay, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, we call that the faith chapter. Sometimes we call it God's hall of fame. The people in here are in God's hall of fame. He points them out as being wonderful people of faith. And in chapter 11, in verse number six, you can't, words can't be clear without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now I said that faith and prayer are joined together at the head. They cannot be separated. Notice why I say that. He that cometh to God must believe that he is, that God exists. There's faith that there is a God. And That God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. I love that verse and I love that phrase. God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. God rewards prayer diligently seeking Him. Now that's a good enough reason right there to have a 30 day noon prayer meeting. That's a good enough reason right there for you and me to pray more than we ever have in the light of all the events happening in our world and happening in our church and our families and so on. God rewards those who diligently seek Him. And without faith though, we can't get a prayer answered. We can't, it is impossible to please God. Now go back with me to Mark chapter 11. And I want you to mark one little phrase in verse 22. Have faith in God. Jesus answering said to them, have faith in God. And I want you to mark that in your Bible, and I want you to note that's a commandment. That is a commandment of the Lord to have faith. Now, you wouldn't think that that is something that can be commanded, but just look at it. Black ink on white paper. Have faith in God. God, Jesus said, and then he tells us the power of faith. Look in the next verse. He talks about this mountain. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, there must have been a mountain nearby there, and he must have pointed to it to to use the word this. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, he pointed out some hill nearby, be thou removed and cast into the sea, and shall not doubt it in his heart, he shall believe those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Now, look at that last phrase. A person who prays in faith can have whatsoever he saith. And then he goes further and elaborates, verse 24. I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe. That's faith. Have faith that you receive them. Believe that you receive them and you shall have them. He talks about mountain moving faith here. Now, I don't think he was meaning for people to go point to a mountain and say, I believe that, you know, I'm going to pray that God picks that mountain up, moves it away because I, that, that's not what he's talking about. He's using a, a metaphor. He's saying we can accomplish great things, even impossible things, humanly speaking, if we pray in faith. He connects them. You know, you heard about the old woman who read that verse, had a big mountain behind her house, a hill behind her house, and she wanted it moved because it blocked the view. And so she got down and prayed and said, Lord, move that mountain. Got up and looked and said... Salt was still there. And she said, well, that's what I thought from the beginning. Well, that is a great illustration of the fact that (laughs) she didn't believe it was ever going to happen anyhow. And how often do we pray? And we don't really believe we're going to get an answer to those prayers. The Lord rebukes me and he convicts me of that sometimes. I pray, I just say words. And I didn't really expect the Lord to do that. Anybody in here getting convicted? We just say those words. And the missing ingredient is faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. That word rendered there, uh, believe, if you'll notice. And faith, in verse 22, have faith in God. And then he talks about belief down there. That's the common word meaning to trust and to put confidence in. To rely upon Same word we use in John 3.16 when Jesus said, if we believe in Him, we'll never perish. Faith. And that means that when I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, for God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him. And when I preach on that, you've heard me many times, no doubt say, that word believe means to rely on, to trust in, to have confidence in, to depend upon all of those things adjectives describe what it means to believe now he uses the same word pistis is the Greek word he uses that very same word in saying when you pray believe have confidence rely upon trust in depend upon God to answer that prayer it sounds so simple And it is simple. And yet it is so difficult. If it were easy, as somebody said, everybody would be doing it. But it is difficult to have faith, isn't it? And yet our Lord here commands it for us. I've used a definition of faith that some of y'all have memorized and have written in your Bible. But I like it's the best definition, the most complete I've ever heard. And it's this. That faith is hearing the word of God, believing the word of God, acting on the word of God, and then leaving the rest up to him or resting in him. Notice notice that definition. What is faith? Faith is, first of all, hearing the word of God. It says in Romans 10, 17, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if I read my Bible and I can discover or identify a principle or a promise from God's Word, then it makes it very, very easy to pray about that because I know that's the will of God. I know that's the will of God then. Faith is hearing the Word of God. That's why... We urge people to come to church every time they can be here. That's why we push church attendance in a Baptist church. It's not just that we want to get one more body in the pew, though we do. But let me tell you why we push that. We want people to be here. When people begin to drift away in their church attendance, their faith goes down. Because they need to be reminded and taught. And hear it over and over till it becomes a deep part of their very being. Faith comes by hearing. And when people are not hearing God's Word, you can bet their faith quotient is going to go down. And I know that from experience. Faith is dependent upon hearing the Word. But just hearing it alone is not enough. Believing the Word. Believing the Word. And that word again, believing, having faith, relying on, depending on, having confidence in, and so on. Faith is hearing the word, believing the word, acting on the word. Now, I won't ask you to turn over there again. You just left Hebrews 11. But it records all these great people of faith. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Daniel, all these great Old Testament characters. And they're in God's Hall of Fame. They're named specifically as being men and women of faith. And they wrought great things, great miracles through their faith. But you know what? That chapter, more than anything else, teaches me that faith is not this passive thing where I just say, I'll sit here, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. Con myself into and gin up this idea that, well, if I believe something strongly enough, it'll happen. That's not faith. That is not faith. That is induced from within your own self. That's just talking yourself into believing something. Faith is hearing the Word of God. It is dependent upon the Word of God. It is believing that Word that you have read and studied or heard. It is acting on that word then. And all those people acted in consistency with what they believed. So it says, Noah is in that crowd. Noah, what about him? He acted. His faith was not passive. Noah prepared an ark to the saving of his soul. And after every one of those people's names, there is a verb. They did something with what God told them to do and promised them to do. Faith is hearing God's word, believing God's word, acting upon God's word, and then resting on God's word, leaving the rest up to Him. And the Bible here said, Jesus himself was teaching us, if we have that like a mustard seed, we can do wonderful and powerful things for him in our life. Go back with me. I'll I'll turn you back to Hebrews 11 again because it's so pertinent. And I just want to show you this and then I'll close tonight. I used about half my time here to promote this prayer concept, but I want you to start uh, inviting people to come, or plan when, to come when you can throughout that month, Sept or October the 5th through November the 3rd. Now I want you to look at one other thing, though. In Hebrews 11, look at the first verse. I gave you my definition that um, I was writing a Sunday school curriculum way back many, many, many years ago in Dallas, Texas. And there were four or five of us writing that, and we came up with that definition. It was a sort of a team effort there. And we put that definition in that Sunday school curriculum that we were writing back in those days. Now, here's God's definition though. No doubt superior. You want the definition of faith straight from the Bible? Hebrews 11, 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, I've struggled with that definition, though, sometimes really understanding what that means. And the thing that helped me more than anything, I think it's, I forget what other translation of the Bible it is, but it helped me to get an insight into that. And you may want to write it there. Take the word substance and maybe put a little circle around it. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. What is faith? It is the assurance that I have in my heart. The assurance of the thing that I'm praying about. That God, it is God's will and God will give it to me. So Sunday night, I preached a little message to you on three things that I know are the will of God. The Bible specifically says there are three things. Now there's more than that. I found at least three more but I, I didn't have time to preach those. But I preached three things. There is no doubt about them. This is God's will for for every Christian, for everybody. Not you having one plan for your life and me another, but God's will for every Christian. One, or for every person, we get saved. It is not God's will that anybody perish. Number two, even your sanctification. It's God's will that every Christian be sanctified and they're set apart for a holy purpose, a holy design, that he makes us holy, that we become pure, that we become Christ-like and righteous. And the third thing was, it's God's will that we be filled with the Spirit. Three things that are God's will for every Christian, or for every, I guess every person, because salvation, not his will that any should perish, and then that every person who is saved be sanctified, and that every person who is saved be spirit-filled. Those three things are God's will. Now, I use that to illustrate Then, I don't need to have a doubt in the world when I pray for somebody's salvation. Am I praying in the will of God when I pray for my son or my daughter or my friend's salvation? I am absolutely in the will of God. I can pray with assurance, with confidence, that's going to be true. And if I get down on my knees and say, Lord, I long to be filled with your spirit, to be controlled by the Holy Spirit in my life. I want you to use me and to use me, you have to give me your presence and your power in a very special way. I have no doubt in my mind, that's the will of God. I don't have to worry about that. That gives me assurance, confidence, substance, whatever word you want to use. If I pray, Lord, I've got so many carnal tendencies in my life and Lord, I have some things in my life that displease you, they're they're not right. People couldn't see them looking on from the outside but looking down in my heart, you can see them and I can see them. Lord, will you make me pure? Will you clean me up? Will you sanctify me and make me a righteous and godly Christian? I have no doubt about whether he'll do that or not. I can pray that with supreme faith because God's word speaks so clearly about that. Amen? This is the will of God for you, even your sanctification. Be filled with the spirit, this is the will of God. Now, there are things though that are not near as clear. And I'll talk about that next Wednesday, okay? What do you do when you don't have a clear promise from God? Can you pray in faith? Yeah, you still can based upon something else that's very important. But I'm out of time and I want us to have a few moments to pray. So come right on down. The children aren't in here. And if you'd like to pray with your group of people or prayer circle, just come right on. And we've got about seven or eight, ten minutes here. We can pray together and then we'll close.